Hello, welcome to the Grace Apostolic Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you joined us. We hope this podcast serves as a tool that encourages you and helps you navigate through this journey called life. If you wouldn't mind, we would greatly appreciate it if you would subscribe and review this podcast channel. Your feedback matters, and we want to serve you to the best of our abilities. Thank you so much. Let's go to the Word. I'm directing your attention to John chapter 3. and Begin reading at verse 1. It will take me a little while to lay a foundation today, although I will not be lengthy totality, but stay with me as I lay the foundation, and some of it will seem um, juvenile, something that you've heard many times, until we get to the twist which God has spoken to me to declare to you today. And for those that are watching online, you're not by accident watching here, and some of you for the first time have tuned in to Grace Apostolic. Perhaps your assembly's not having church and you're looking and searching. It's not by accident. So let the stirring of your spirit be touching your faith and God's going to hear you today. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter to the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, and canst tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Now I want you to notice that this conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus continues on for several more verses. Verse 16, he says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So this entire conversation of chapter 3 I'd like to read all of it, but for sake of time, I won't. This is a conversation that is speaking about God's love for everyone in the world and what we need to do in order to accept and receive that love. I'm preaching today this question. What must I do to be saved? What what must I do to be saved? God bless you. You may be seated. It's important for us to understand who this is that Jesus is speaking to. That Nicodemus is an extremely religious man. He's of the sect of religion of Judaism at the time that was called Pharisees. 
we also see that he was a ruler among the Jews. So we quickly get the idea that this is an individual that is devout, that is very religious, and also he has great respect among the Jewish, God's people, so that he is now in leadership among them. His name means victorious among his people. Nicodemus means victorious among his people. So we see a little more insight to this man of high standing, this man that is victorious, this man is a ruler, and he is one that is very devout. And this is the man that comes to Jesus in the middle of the night with this statement. I know that you're a teacher, a teacher come from God. And this is where his faith stands on. I see the miracles that you do, Jesus, and flesh can't do that kind of stuff. So this has to be something that comes from God. You're a teacher come from God. I want you to understand very specifically that this Nicodemus did not ask, what must I do to be saved? He didn't ask that. Indeed, probably, he feels pretty strongly he's saved already. He's a religious man, a devout man, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, victorious among his people. But Jesus takes his place of faith and begins to minister to him. That place of faith is this. He believes that he's from God and that he can teach him something. This is key to understand because if you want to be a soul winner or you want to know how to disciple someone, you always must take them from the place of their faith and whatever that faith is, then minister to them and help them at that point of faith. Otherwise, you're not going to be effective and in most places, we can be very offensive. So even though this man has not said, what must I do to be saved? What he has said is, you can teach me something because you're from God. I've got faith because of the miracles what you did. So Jesus says to him, verily, verily, or without a doubt, or this is absolutely true. I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This word see is not actually talking about a physical vision. It's not talking about physical optic operation. But it's talking about you cannot understand or you cannot envision or you cannot be aware of. That unless you are born again, you cannot understand the kingdom of God. You cannot be aware of the kingdom of God. You have no understanding to see unless you're born again. This is very important for us to understand. Understand, not just for people who are sinners and away from God, but all believers need to understand, unless you're born again, you cannot be aware and understand the kingdom of God. Now, there's two concepts here that must be understood, and it had to pique the interest and the intellect of Nicodemus. These two phrases are kingdom of God. And perhaps this is the first time that he has heard this kind of statement, kingdom of God. But for him, it would be much more easier to understand than for us Westerners. 
Because we, many and most of us, live in a society that is ruled by the people, for the people, of the people. And we vote to have representatives that go to Washington supposedly to represent our wants and our needs and what we do. And we are ruled supposedly by the people to a large degree. But a kingdom doesn't operate like a constituted republic or a democracy, which we are. A kingdom operates by the king. He doesn't have a senate. He doesn't have a house of representatives. The king speaks the word and it is law. So it's important to understand that in this kingdom, a place where the king has dominion, kingdom, that there is a kingdom of God. So God becomes king in that kingdom, and what he says is the rule, it's the law, it's the blessing of the land. So Nicodemus, having been in a kingdom himself, would understand this more readily, but we would struggle a little more. The other phrase blew him away as we see in this conversation. For that's the phrase born again. Except you are born again, you cannot see or understand or envision the kingdom of God. Born again. This man is intellectual. This man is well learned. Nicodemus is one of great understanding. And he has no idea what this phrase means. How can a man, when he is old, go back to mama's belly and be born? And so Jesus makes it very specific when he says unto him, I say unto thee, except a man is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So he's saying that this New birth that gets you into the kingdom of God is a birth of spirit and a birth of water. He continues on to say that which is spirit is spirit and that which is flesh is flesh. So he's not talking about a fleshly water and a fleshly Spirit. He's, of course, talking about the spiritual realm. So when he says you must be born again of spirit, that's talking about a spiritual rebirth. And when you must be born again of water, that's a spiritual water rebirth. But this time he changes the phraseology, and he doesn't say you're not going to see or envision. He said this is how you enter into the kingdom. Now, since he's talking about birth, he's wanting us to picture a birthing process. That the only way you can enter or break through the matrix of the womb, that's the only way to be a citizen of the kingdom of God is to be born into it. You cannot migrate to the kingdom of God. You cannot, as an illegal alien, find your way in the city and exist there. That doesn't happen in the kingdom of God. You can't go through any process except birth. It's the only way to be a part of the kingdom of God is you've got to be born into it. But we have the opportunity, no matter where we come from, physically or fleshly, everyone can be born again into the kingdom of God. Hmm. So now he's letting us know that there is benefits and blessings of the kingdom of God. 
but you have no rights to this as a citizen until you're born into the citizenship. You have to be born to be a citizen. And if you're born into this nationality of the kingdom of God, now you're a child of the kingdom of God, a citizen of the kingdom of God, and you have rights within that kingdom. Then he gives us in verse 8 an understanding of what spiritual rebirth is like. When he says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it come and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So I want you to see that he's talking about a sound. He didn't say that when you're born of the Spirit, you're going to see something. He didn't say you're going to feel something. He didn't say you're just going to know something. He said you're going to hear the sound of the moving of the Spirit. Like the wind blowing, you hear the sound thereof. Wind blows where it desires, where it listeth, you hear the sound thereof. And Nicodemus is still blown away. How can these things be? And Jesus is blown away and said, You're a master of the covenant Israel nation and you don't understand these things? How about when I start talking about deep stuff of the kingdom? How are you going to understand that? So there is something that John wants to make sure we as believers understand is that Nicodemus was struggling with the very entrance into the kingdom of God, but there's so much more, but he had to get this in place first. We see this scripture so powerful in verse 16 that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life and this gives us the assurance that this love that he has given to us is the only way that we have to go through him to receive this new birth experience All right. now look with me in Acts chapter 2 and those of you who have been around the Pentecostal experience for a while This will be well known and well versed to you. But for some of you, this will be revelation right here. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, the disciples have gone to Jerusalem to wait for the promise that Jesus spoke to them that they would receive. And the last part of Luke 24 tells us that that promise was the infant of the Holy Ghost. So when the day was fully come, verse 2, suddenly there came a... A sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared in them cloven tongues like as a fire. Now, regardless of the pictures you've seen painted, that was not a cloven fire upon their head. That was the tongue that God gave them in their mouth. Cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the fulfillment of John chapter 3, new birth message. Now, let me prove it to you. Immediately because of this phenomena, when people in this upper room are receiving this sound that came from heaven and they're filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking other tongues, the Bible lets us know right here in Acts chapter 2 that this power, that this love, that this anointing was so strong that they become very demonstrative in their worship and in their receiving of the Holy Ghost. 
I hope in 2020 that we're not so sophisticated that we don't get a little crazy every once in a while in our demonstration of our love for God. It was beautiful what was happening around this altar last night as people weren't worried about what anybody thought. But with tears and with crying out, they worshiped God because He had been so good to them and they were thankful. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, They were so demonstrative as they're receiving the Holy Ghost that people gathered thinking they were drunk. Huh? Would people think that about us when the Holy Ghost falls? Or do we get too, you know, educated or high society? But the scripture says that they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men. So the 3,000 that gathered or more in this place to watch these people who look drunk are not outright sinners. They're devout men, Jews from every nation around. And when Simon Peter realizes what they're thinking, he stands up as a spokesperson for those 120 in the upper room, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he says... They're not drunk like you think. Seeing it's but 9 o'clock in the morning. But what you're seeing here is the outpouring that our prophet Joel prophesied. Then the last days God would pour out His Spirit. His Holy Spirit upon all flesh. And He begins to speak to them at the place of their understanding. Do you get that? At the place of their understanding, the prophets that they knew as devout Jews, He begins to explain to them, this is what prophet Joel was saying. He finally gets to a message as you read Acts chapter 2, and for sake of time, we won't do that. But He basically tells them, the Christ that has been prophesied of. The Messiah that we have been looking for and longing for, He came. And you missed Him. In fact, you thought He was a heretic, so you took Him to Calvary's hill and killed Him. The Scripture says, when they heard this, verse 37, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, Listen closely. He's not told them, you're sinners and you're going to hell. That's not what he's saying. What he said to them is the Christ that you've been looking for, the Messiah that's prophesied, is Lord and God, and you crucified him. And when they heard that, they were pricked in their heart. And they didn't say, oh, what do I have to do to go to heaven? What must I do to be saved? They said, what must we do to the understanding that they had crucified their Messiah? So from the place of their faith and their understanding, Simon Peter begins to speak to them. Acts 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and your children, all are far off, even as, more, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now let's look at Acts 2 and 38 in the light of the fulfillment of what John 3 is. Jesus said, you must be born again or you cannot envision. You cannot be aware of the kingdom of God. And you must be born of a spiritual spirit rebirth and a spiritual 
water rebirth or you're not entering, you're not part of the kingdom of God. And so here we have the experience. First of all, repent, which means you die out to your old self. First, you've got to decide, I'm not going to be the same nationality that I used to be. I'm not going to be the same person that I used to be. I'm repenting of that. I'm turning away from that. And with good godly sorrow, I'm turning toward God. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. This is turning to a different way of thinking, a different way of living, a different way of acting, the way that Jesus has been teaching. But Simon Peter also tells us that there's a spiritual phenomenon that happens when you're water baptized in the name of Jesus. That it washes away your sins. This is the spiritual rebirth of water being baptized in Jesus' name. And then he said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking other tongues. This is the spiritual rebirth. So if you want to enter into the kingdom, Jesus said you've got to have a spiritual water and a spiritual spirit rebirth. And Acts 2.38 is very clear. There's a water rebirth and there's a spiritual rebirth through the infill of the Holy Ghost. And then there's a sound. You know that you have been born again because you hear the sound of the Spirit. And it's the language that God gives you as you give, as you give your yielding. God gives you the utterance to speak this language. So, it seems so clear to me. I, it seems so clear to me that this is absolutely the new birth message, and why that God so loved the world, he gave his son because of his death, his burial, his resurrection. We can follow his plan and die through repentance, be buried through baptism, and have a resurrection or be born again into this new life. In fact, it's so clear, I struggle with how come everybody doesn't see it. How come everywhere in churches that call themselves Christian, this is not being preached? Why, why is it that as clear as it seems, John 3 is the only way to see or to understand, and the only way to enter, and Acts 2 is the fulfillment of that? And how come everyone cannot see that, not understand that? I... I have often wondered why God would not just make it so clear. What do I have to do to be saved? What must we do to be saved? But even in these instances in context, that question is not being answered. There's not a question by Nicodemus. And there's not a question by the devout men. What must we do to be saved? Meaning, what must we do to make heaven? What must we do to miss hell? What must we do to have eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ? That's not the answer. Or that's not the question, rather. But from the place of their faith, they're spoken of how to be born again. With this question in my mind, I began to do a search and a research in the Scripture. And I want to find out why that this seems to be so difficult for some to understand. I was attracted to verse 8, which says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof. 
Can't tell whence it come with goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit, that this is the sign of the Spirit birth. And I began to look at that, and immediately I found something that didn't make sense. The wind bloweth where it listeth. The wind doesn't have a mind. The men, wind doesn't decide, oh, I'm going to blow this way today, and tomorrow I'm blowing this way. No, but that's a law that has been given to the earth. And because of the spin and the rotation of the earth, there are weather patterns that have. The wind doesn't just decide where it's going to blow. It has no brain to understand I'm going to blow this way or that. So what's being said here? When I look up the word wind, this was revelation to me. It's the Greek word pneuma which means a current of air or breath. By analogy, it literally means a living soul. This is the Greek word that is used every time that the translators want to translate, talking about the soul or the spirit of God and the soul and the spirit of man. In fact, you'll find that there are 385 times pneuma is written in the original Greek writings that we see translated into English. 94 times it's translated ghost or Holy Ghost. 94. 289 times it's translated spirit, spiritual, or spiritually. One time in Revelation it's translated life, speaking about spiritual life. And one time it's translated wind. So get the picture. 384 times it's translated from pneuma into our English Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, spiritual. One time it's translated wind. Looking further in this verse, verse 8, you see the word sound, which is the Greek word phono, that over half the times is translated language. And if we took just these two translations that the translators sometimes didn't, for every other time they did it spirit or Holy Spirit, and for most of the times they translated language, then this is the way it reads. The Holy Ghost moves where it desires, and you hear the language thereof, but can't tell whence it comes and whither it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. My goodness, that's plain you got to be born again of spirit, born again of water. And the Holy Ghost moves where it desires. And you hear the sound thereof, and the language thereof. The language of the spirit is that speaking in tongues is yielded to the whole. And this is the way that everyone that is born of the spirit. So now I'm upset at the translators. If they had just translated it like they did 384 times, it would make a whole lot more sense. And people all over our world maybe wouldn't be as confused. Then I realized that that's an erroneous way to feel and to act. Because we have great confidence. And I could preach an entire message about the infallibility of the Word of God. And that God has brought through every translation to people and individuals the validity of truth. The validity of truth and the power of the Word of God. And we don't have to doubt that the Word of God is truth because it's truth. So now I'm not upset at the translators. I'm mad at God. Because God, yeah, it's going to get me into a lot of trouble. It's going to help me at all to be mad at God. And I, I'm thinking, God, if you had just moved upon the translators to do what they did 384 times. Now, everybody that reads John 3 and 8 is going to say, hey, man, that's, 
That's the Holy Spirit moves where he desires. And you hear the language as it comes among everyone that's born. It's going to be so plain. It's going to be so easy. So God, why did you seemingly and all your abilities and your talents and your giftings, you decided to just let this happen? Why isn't there one chapter in the Word of God that's a chapter or a book called What Must I Do to Be Saved? Let's see, the first one is here, and then you do this, and then you do this, and do this. Hey, and you're going to make heaven your home. You're going to be saved and spend eternity with the Lord, and you don't have to worry about it. Why isn't, why who God, who wants everyone to be saved, didn't make it that clear? In fact, why isn't there a chapter that talks about living for God after your birth? That makes it so clear that can't be defined 20,000 different ways. And everybody make up their own mind about what this is saying what that is saying. In fact, what I see so clearly is this word saved. And you've got to get a paradigm shift on this. Because when we see the word saved, immediately what we think is, Miss Hell, go to heaven. That's never what it means in the scripture. Is that crazy? In fact, if you want to know what you must do to be saved, and you looked up the word saved, and you began to study, okay, what must I do to be saved? Let me work up the word saved. I'll tell you what you're going to find. The first place you'll find in the New Testament is Matthew 10, 22. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. Oh, well, I want salvation. So what Matthew is telling me is that I've got to endure to the end. Well, that's kind of vague. But okay, I'm doing a word search on save, so I've got to endure to the end if I want to be saved. The next place that you'll find it is Mark 16 and 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Okay, Matthew said I've got to endure to the end. Now Mark is saying I've got to believe and I've got to be baptized. So maybe, maybe. Maybe I've got to accumulate every time in the New Testament where it says saved, and I've got to follow a list of all the saves. So first, I've got to endure to the end. Secondly, I've got to believe and be baptized. There's a couple of dozen, but I'm only going to speak to you of a few of them. John 10 and 9 says, Jesus said, I'm the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Okay, it's a little confusing. I understand what Jesus is saying is that you have to come through Jesus. There's not salvation through any other way. You have to come through Jesus. Regardless of what one world religion wants you to believe, you got to come through Jesus or you cannot be saved. Okay, well, Matthew said I've got to endure to the end. Mark said that I've got to believe be baptized. John is saying that I have to go through Jesus. So what is going on here? Acts 2 and 21 says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, that's an easier one. Let me just believe that. Acts 16, 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, that's even easier. I don't even have to talk. I just have to believe. Romans 8 and 24 says that you're saved by hope. Oh, that's even better. Romans 10 and 9, confess with your mouth, believe with your heart, and you shall be saved. I'm telling you, entire groups of people that call themselves Christians will take one of these that they choose and make it a salvation message. Romans 10 and 13, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Ephesians 2 and 5 says, by grace you are saved. All right. Ephesians 2 and 8, by grace you are saved, but that's through faith, not by yourself. 
Here's a good one. 1 Timothy 2.15. The wives shall be saved through childbirth. Yeah, good for you, but what am I supposed to do? Become a woman and have a baby? <laughs> now, 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 before you get real crazy on this, and let, let me kind of tell you what's happening. The church is having a struggle and a problem, and some male chauvinists are saying this, all right, in the Scripture. They're saying, if it wasn't for you stinking women, we wouldn't have no problem because he was the one that took the fruit and disobeyed. And so Paul and Timothy are writing to the church and said, don't be so quick to throw the women under the bus because if you remember that your salvation came through Jesus Christ, that was through the childbirth of Mary. (laughs) So don't be so quick to say, oh, it's the woman. Hey, we need to thank God for the women that bring birth because Jesus Christ came for us through childbirth of a woman. So don't be confused. And think that I'm preaching, you know, gender change and stuff. You go a little further and you hear this in Titus 3 and 5. It's by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. You see, there's no way that you can take these 12 and probably the dozen more that you'll find in the New Testament and make them a list of what you do. I want to be saved, so i got to do this, endure. i got to believe. i got to let hope. i got to let grace. There's no way to do that. And it's impossible. It's not contextually correct to take one of these and make it your salvation message. So what is happening here? If you'll give understanding to context, every time that the word saved here is mentioned, again, paradigm shift, it's not talking about missing heaven and going to hell. It's saved out of your situation. And in Matthew, when we read that if you endure to the end, you shall be saved, he's teaching about persecution that will come to you. And people will despitefully use you for his namesake. But if you endure to the end, you're going to make it through. You're going to be saved. Not you're going to heaven. Not you're missing hell. In fact, none of these speak to going to heaven and missing hell. They're all speaking about the place of context saved out of your situation, out of your sickness, out of your hurt, saved out of your confusion, saved out of false doctrine, saved out of your truth. All these are speaking about this stuff that needs to be explained and how you walk in a place of save. Because salvation, according to the Word of God, is not an action. Please hear me. And it's not a carte blanche gift of God. It's not something that you do with your imagination. It's not something you do with experience. It's not even an experience, Pentecostals. Salvation is a journey. And you're not saved until you stand before the Lord and Savior on that great white throne day of judgment. And he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys that I have prepared for you. So what we see and what gives us clear understanding is that what John 3 and Acts 2 that fulfills it is saying is that this is just the beginning of birth into the kingdom. And if you have not been born again, at best you have conception, but you're not born. 
You have fetus growth, but you're not born. You have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but you've not been born into the kingdom. And until you're born, Jesus said, you can't understand it, you can't see it, you can't be able to grasp it. And until you're born, you don't have the rights of the kingdom. You don't have the rights of the citizenship. God could have said, okay, you want to go to heaven? Here's a list. But understand that what God is looking for is not a lot of people that know how to play Christian Monopoly. Oh, there's the rules. Let me follow the rules. I'm not going to land on go to jail and make sure I pass, go and collect my 200. And all he got is a people that just follow the rules. That's not what he's all about. He doesn't want people. Please hear the purpose of what this is. Is that Jesus is looking for a bride. A bride. He's looking for a wife. And so what he does is he starts flirting with us. I like you a whole lot. Look how much I love you. Went to the cross for you, diaper. And he will speak every love language to make sure that you receive his love and you can feel his presence and you can hear his voice and you can see or touch him. He'll spend quality time with you. He'll give you gifts. He'll do whatever it takes for you to know he loves me. And then we have to decide, hey, this dude's flirting with me. Is he pretty cool? Do I want to get to know him? Is there something about him that I want to enter into a relationship where I can get to know him and he can get to know me and we can grow closer and closer together? And if that's the case, then he will pick us up out of the miry clay where we have been living and he will take us to a place of birth. We don't have to approach him the same way that we have lived with all of our sin and mistake. But he will let us be born again and the old sin will be washed away in baptism and we'll be a new creature in Christ Jesus. But when we receive the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in tongues, we're just now being born. We're babies in the kingdom. Your salvation is not an experience. Your salvation is the beginning of your kingdom life. Holy Ghost, new birth is the beginning. It's the birth. And then as you walk with God in relationship like pastor was pushing so much, and rightfully so, that you get to know him as you date him, as you get closer to him. There's things that he likes and things that he doesn't like. I've been married for 74 years now. I would guess, but I might be a year off. I think it's 33 years. I hope Lois ain't listening right now. Actually, she wouldn't remember either, so I'm okay. But Lois knows things about me that nobody else knows. She knows some things. There's some people I uh, know me, know my name, and you know, but, but she's... Special to me. And there's things I share with her 
of intimacies of my spirit, of my emotions, of my mind, that nobody else gets that privilege. Because through the years, we keep growing closer together. And when she deals with things physically, you know, the change that happens when, <laughs> don't want to go there. Just because, that's all, that's it. When she deals with changes, then I get to know her as she's dealing with these changes. When I struggle with battles in life and circumstance of life, she gets to know me. And as long as we are open in relationship, there's a trust that gets deeper and deeper and greater and greater. And now that I am no longer 25, I, you know, hate to admit this, I'm probably not as strong as I used to be, not as good looking as I used to be, not as athletic. And there's a lot of people that have maybe more physical giftings than I do now at this age. But she doesn't want any of them. She still wants me. She's a beautiful, wonderful Christian lady of 54 years old. She's just a few months older than me. But I don't want anybody else. Because there's something that has happened here in relationship that we have grown closer and closer together. Honestly, it sounds like a nightmare to me. It just go with me here. If something happened to my wife and she was taken on to her blessing and I, you know, didn't want to live alone, what a nightmare. I had to train somebody all over again. No, really. How do you get to know them? How how do you get to that place again at 33 years? And in living with God, you should so get to know Him. Find out what He likes and just start changing things in you. Well, my wife likes this color or that color or this temperature or that. Good. What does Jesus like? He loves modesty. He loves holiness. He loves it when you separate yourself from the world and its ideologies and its thought process. He loves when you separate. And the more that you grow in relationship to him, he gets to where he wants to spend eternity with you. This is salvation. Now I'm going to to say this. And there could be some critics out there you just uh, listen to pastor and whatever he has to say it could be and theologians are all over the page on this it could be it might be it could be that maybe that there will be people in heaven that are not part of the bride of Christ just my imagination okay I look at this story of the ten virgins and the five foolish and the five wise Ten, maybe he has a choice of who he's going to marry. I just say that to say this. This isn't about me just somehow trying to make heaven or miss hell. This is about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that takes me all the way to the place that he marries me. And I spend eternity with him. If, 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 if. That's a big if. 
if there's some other way to get to heaven, and I, there's no way in the scripture that tells it that clear, I don't want to just go to heaven. I love him. And I want to spend eternity the most intimate way I can with my Lord because I want to be his bride. Now here's why I preach this. is because this word salvation, when we say it today, everywhere on the websites, people speak their doctrine, the churches do, and they say this is what we believe about salvation. But it's an improper thought process. Because salvation isn't an action that you take. It's not a thought you have. It's not a hope or a faith you can experience. It's not an experience at a Pentecostal altar where you speak in tongues. That is a new birth. Belief and hope and faith is all conception with God. But until you're born into the kingdom, you're not even in the kingdom and you can't be aware of things. In fact, do you know that Jesus preached in parables the whole time that he was on earth. And when the disciples asked him why, he said, because it's not given to the masses or the multitudes to know the secret things about me, the deep things about me. But you, get the picture, you disciples who have left your nets and your boats and your fishes, Willing to leave mother and father, and you're just chasing after me. You're not worried about this world and this life, and you're not worried about everything, but you're chasing after me. Them are the individuals that I'm going to give you the mysteries of the deep things of the kingdom of God. In fact, there are seven mysteries in the New Testament. Let me just t- touch two of them as I'm closing. First Timothy 3.16 says there's a mystery of the one God in Christ. So if you want to know why people don't understand that there's one God, it's because it's a mystery. In fact, when Simon Peter receives the revelation, Jesus says to him, flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, that there has to be a positioning of yourself where you're hungry to know him. I don't want to just know who he, I want to know him. I want to be close to him. And when you position yourself to know who he is, then revelation begins to come. Catch this one. Colossians 1.27, this is a mystery of the Holy Ghost indwelling Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is a mystery. This is what I've been preaching about. That's why everybody's not preaching all over the Christian world today. It's a mystery. Because he doesn't want everybody, just everybody, that opens the Bible or hears a preached message, he doesn't want everybody to have this secret born again thing. Only those who are hungry for him. Not just people that, oh, I don't want to go to hell. Yeah, I want to go to heaven. No. Those that are hungry to know him, that when he wooed you, flirted with you, it was more than, I don't, I don't want to go to hell. I want, it was, I want to know him. I want to pursue him. So here is the truth. Just because you have spoken in tongues does not mean you're saved. I'm sorry. It means you're born again. Now continue on pursuing him to your place of salvation. By the same token, 
And this is where we've got to tear walls down, as I spoke earlier today. By the same token, just because someone has not received the gift of the Holy Ghost yet, doesn't mean they don't have relationship with God. Because there's conception before birth. There's growth before birth. There's a carrying in the womb that has been planted by a holy God that allows growth and maturity. But until they're born again, they can't even be aware and understand what the kingdom of God is about. So we need to tear down all these walls because the same God that loves us is the same God that loves everyone in the world. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him not perish but have everlasting life. Stand with me. So here is my appeal today. No matter where you are in your relationship, please hear it as more than traditional words. I'm trying to be very specific in my words. No matter where you are in your relationship of God that will lead you in this journey of salvation, if you need help in that journey, that's what this altar service is all about. If you've already been born, but somehow you need a fresh love for God, If you've never been born, but you realize God's speaking to me, I feel faith and confession, all that, and you want to be born. Or if you're just maybe for the first time listening to the draw on the love of God as he woos you or flirts with you, and you want to enter into wherever you are in your spiritual journey of salvation in relationship with the Lord, if you need help today, We want to be here and use every bit of our faith and every bit of our experience and the privilege that we have with God, having walked with Him and seeing Him and talking with Him for some of us years. We want to use every favor, every strength that God has given us to help you in your salvation journey today. So if you need help, if you're here and you need help, in that relationship and in that journey of salvation. Would you be so bold in your faith as to step out and walk down to the front? Just stand close here in front of the stage. I I want you to see this breaks down walls because we're not saying, oh, I've had an experience and I'm saved and you haven't had the experience, you're not saved. We're all on the journey. We're all on the journey. Now, please, here, I'm, times I've qualified it. Unless you're born again, you're not entered or you cannot see or be aware of the kingdom of God. Since you're all the way on the end with the black sweater and the red dress, shake your head if you know I'm talking to you. Touch her. I'm talking to you, sis. Stay there. I've watched the anguish of Hannah come upon you. As service after service, you have said, God, I've got to have an answer. I've got to have a miracle. And you've come with your praise, and you've come with your worship. God has heard your prayers. He has enjoyed your worship and your love relationship with him that's been expressed. If you would walk in faith and trust and just wait a little while in his confidence... God's got an answer for you. He's got an answer for you.
And you're going to be able to put all that weary fear and worry and concern aside because God has said, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. According to your faith and how you can receive, let the Holy Ghost minister even now. In a few days, clarity is coming. In a few days, strength is coming. In a few days, you're going to see the sign of the miracle. In Jesus' name. Anybody else? Just Maybe you've been born again, but you need help on your salvation journey. There's plenty of room at the altar. Let me strongly encourage our young people. There's a breakthrough that began to happen yesterday among the young people. And if you're not fresh in your love and in your relationship with God, I'm going to encourage you to come down, pray back through the Holy Ghost, get back in love with God, and let a strength come to you. If you're watching online, we're going to pray with you as best we can. But we're asking you to find a place right now and talk to the Lord Jesus Speak to Him in your heart and tell Him, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to go to the next step. I want to know you greater. Begin to pray that prayer. We will pray with you. Okay. Now those of you who are very comfortable in your relationship of journey of salvation, I want you to come and stand close to these that are behind these. Our prayer warriors are also working. Thank you again for joining us here at Grace Apostolic Church. Hopefully this message spoke to you as it did for many others. Grace Apostolic Church is a church family that you can be a part of. If you would like to connect to the church, the best way would be to visit our website at gacclawson.org or visit one of our services. Our service times are Sundays at 11 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7.30 p.m. For more information, you can go online at gacclawson.org. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.